You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Today, um, we are doing the last week, the last section. This is the last week of ology, and I'm kind of sad, uh, but I'm excited about our next series, which is the book of Exodus. Um, but the last week that we have here in this series is looking at the one church. And the Nicene Creed says that it's a holy Catholic and apostolic church, and that means uh, holy because God is holy, right? Apostolic, and we'll read in the scriptures today, that it was began with the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he gave it to the apostles. And they went out, and they ministered in the name of Jesus, and that's just kind of continued down through time. Um, and Catholic doesn't mean the Catholic Church, it means universal. It's a term that means universal. So you might even have read it as the Holy Universal and Apostolic Church. We believe in one baptism for the remission of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. And this is what we're going to look at briefly today. And then Craig is going to come up and share a little bit about how God's church is working <laughs> in Ecuador. And so uh, this will be a great, uh, a great message for you this morning because it won't just be... Um, uh, head knowledge. It's going to be some practical stuff that has happened on the ground. So hopefully that will encourage you to get out and do some practical stuff on the ground as well. Um, if you would, flip to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start there today. And, and as you're finding that, uh, we're going to be talking about the church today, the capital C church, um, and uh, of what defines the church. And that's what we're going to be at. Several scriptures today and looking at what defines the church. And the church, for us, um, is a preview, a sampling, a, um, a taste of the kingdom to come. So when we live the kingdom out as God's word describes it, then we are actually tasting the fruits of the kingdom that will come in fullness one day. We get to preview it now. And the church, capital C Church, everybody who believes in Jesus Church, is God's plan for us. It's God's plan that would be a part of it, and he calls us to it. Um, and we are then the living, thriving representation of Christ on earth for other people. And so this idea of the church is very important. And it's not a four-walled building, right? I told the first service, you guys remember this from like little kids Sunday school or whatever? This is the church, right? And this is the steeple and open the doors and here's all the people, right? Um, and, uh, and I've struggled with that model because I get what it's teaching, but I think it teaches slightly backwards, right? Because it should be, this is the church, and this might be where they meet, right? But if you could, like, make a tree, right? The church could meet there, right? Right? And the ocean, the church could meet there, right? So this is the important part. Not this part. We're not limited by the church walls and the steeple. This building is not the church. These people are the church, right? And that's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at God's plan for that. So if you would stand for the reading of the word, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Um, Lord, as we read your word today, would you show us your plan for the church, for your body, um, for the way that you would have your kingdom live here on earth now, one that would invite people who are disconnected from you to become connected to you? Would you work in the hearts of each individual member of the church, Father, renewing a passion for you and a love for you? Um, and 
Would you help us find ways in which we might be more like you through the help of your Holy Spirit? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. One body with many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, it is also the same way with Christ. For we are in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether we were Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink from one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how would the body hear? And if the whole body were an ear, how would the body smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have need of you. Nor again could the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. That there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A couple things in this. Um, first off, we get the idea that God wants us to understand his church, his body active alive on earth today as if we were looking at our human body. So he gives us the analogy of our human body. And he says, listen, you have a body, but you have lots of body parts, right? And they all serve a different function, but if they cease to function, your body would cease to function because your body needs all of your parts to function together in health and wholeness. So the eye can't say, I don't need the foot because the eye won't get anywhere <laughs> if the foot doesn't help, right? Okay. And, uh, and the kidney can't say to the lung, I don't need you, because in reality, the kidney needs the lung to provide oxygen, but the lung needs the kidney as well for some biological reason that I'm not <laughs> sure, but I'm sure exists because God's smart. He writes the body like that. Okay? All the body parts work together, and Jesus says, okay, you get it in your body. Now take this idea and apply it to the church. Take this idea and apply it to everyone who believes in me and has been baptized in my name and realize that some of you are going to be like eyes and some of you are going to be like noses and some of you are going to be like pinky toes and one of you is a kidney and another of you is a left nostril. Some of you are hair and you all have different purposes and functions and way of doing, but you all together make the body. And apart from you, there is a lacking. Jesus says that each one of us is needed. Each body part is vital, which means that every single one of you who has professed faith in Christ 
is vital to the body of Christ, to the church in the world that we live in. You are part of something bigger than you are. And the part that you play is important. And sometimes we diminish ourselves and we think, I don't have much to offer. I don't know what I can do. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't speak well enough. I can't serve enough. All these things, all these excuses we give. And what we're saying in translation is, um, well, because I'm an I, I do not belong to the body. But we're not allowed that freedom in Scripture. Scripture tells us that all of us who have professed faith in Christ are parts of the body of God, and we must all participate according to the part of the body that we are. And you have to figure out what part of the body you are. I don't know what part of the body you are, but you figure that out with you and Jesus. And then you participate fully as that part of the body of Christ. Because you will strengthen the rest of us, and we will strengthen you. Our world that we live in tends to divide um, itself into differences, right? I told the, the first service that uh, the world tends to divide by color of skin or language or ability or social status or um, financial wealth and all these kinds of things. We start to make groupings by, oh, I can't hang out with you because you don't look like me and I, I'm not welcomed by you because I don't earn that kind of money and all these kinds of things that divide. But what really strikes me about the body of Christ is the verse that says, there is no division in the body of Christ. And I really love that. Where else on earth are you going to find a place where there is to be no division? Doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like, where you come from, what you've done, where you've been, what you've said, what you've not said, what your history has been like, what you think your future might be. In the body of Christ, there is to be no division. And so we must really own that because we think, oh, we come together and we love one another. But this idea of no division goes much greater than just friendliness on a Sunday morning. It means really working hard at loving one another and forgiving one another. We're going to read that here in just a minute. Um, flip to uh, Colossians 3. It's just a few pages forward in your Bible. Colossians 3, starting in verse 11. And it says this. We're going to go 11 to 15. In the body of Christ, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's saying it doesn't matter where you've come from, and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've said, but when Christ is in you, then those titles don't matter because you are one in Christ. So therefore, put on as God's chosen holy ones, beloved Put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bear with one another. And if you have a complaint against one another, forgive each other because the Lord forgave you. So you should forgive when it's convenient for you. Right? No, did I read that wrong? Oh, goodness. Let me go back and read that right. Okay. It says, forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. How is mix that up when I read that because, you know, I only want to forgive when it's convenient. I only want to forgive when it's good for me. I only want to forgive when I feel better about myself, right? I mean, that's the nature of the flesh is we want to hold a grudge against people so we make them feel how they wronged us. But 
In Scripture, in the body of Christ, it says we're all members of the same body. We all have different functions. And we're all united in Christ by the same Spirit. And, and we're supposed to um, have patience with one another and then forgive one another. That's not an option in the body of Christ. We don't get to not forgive one another. We must forgive one another because Christ has lavished his love on us and lavished his forgiveness on us. And so he has called us to do the same. And then he goes even further and he says, above all these things, above forgiveness, above patience, above bearing with one another, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And then be thankful. Like, peace is going to rule in the kingdom of God. Peace is going to rule in the church. What defines the church? from the rest of the world, peace, lack of division, love that abounds, forgiveness that knows no end. You go out into the world, those things don't exist. There are shadows of those things, copies of those things. But true love, true forgiveness, true grace, true mercy, true peace, true unity with no division, despite our differences, that exists in the church because it is wrought by the blood of Christ. And when we live that out, we are a pleasing aroma to God and to those, Scripture says, that are perishing because we look different than the rest of the world. And the world will look at us and go, how can I participate? How, how can I be a part of this thing that welcomes me and loves me and cherishes me no matter what I might have said or done? They love me. They might call me to live a better way, but they love me. Scripture continues, if you flip to Ephesians, it's back a couple. If you go forward and backward today. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 13, or yeah, verse 13. Uh, you are one in Christ is the heading here. But in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's just remember for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, you... That's very personal. You, who were once far off, distant, separated from Christ by your sin, you were brought near by the blood of Jesus. So it is Jesus' blood who has forgiven you of your sins and brought you close to God, right? Because he is our peace. And he made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that is between you and God. And he abolished the law of the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and he made peace. And he reconciled us to God in one body through the cross, and he killed the hostility that existed between you and God. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off from him, and peace to you who were near. And for the, through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer far off and distant. You're no longer found in hostility to God. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of that. In him whom this whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you are being built together, together, that's the key word there, together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Holy Spirit. So get this. The picture of God's church on earth is a snapshot of the kingdom of God to come because people dwell in unity together. People dwell in peace together. People forgive one another. There is no hostility among you. It's this beautiful countercultural picture to the world that we live in. And Jesus says, guess what? I called you to live in that kind of lifestyle. I will put my Holy Spirit in you and enable you to live that kind of lifestyle. I will bind you together with other people of which I'm doing the same thing with. And together you will get to live out this lifestyle that is radically different than the rest of the world. And it will be so radically different that people will come to you and go, why is life different for you? And then you will get to say, because Jesus Christ has reconciled me to God the Father and no longer does sin hold its power over me, but I have grace and mercy and peace. And God wants to give that to you too. Come and experience it. And then they come and they experience and they learn about God and they learn how much God loves them and they give their heart to Christ and they become part of the church because their unique giftings and their unique skills help edify the church and grow the body of Christ and bring us even closer to the moment when, like we, like we understand from the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. One day God will restore everything that is here and the dead will be raised and um, it will be glorious and wonderful and amazing. But scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every knee bowed and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord prior to his return so that the whole earth worshipped him willingly and freely and the world was transformed by the love of Christ? And when we said the world, it would actually be a name for the church or the body of Christ because everyone loved Jesus and everything in our world was defined by peace and forgiveness and humility and compassion and love and hostility was a thing of the past. Can you even imagine a world like that? You flip on the news and it's really hard to imagine a world without hostility. It's really hard to imagine a world without pain. It's really hard to imagine those things. But God's word says, I called you to live that life and I will enable you to live that life. And the church isn't just four walls, right? It's the people. It's, it's this part, right? Okay, right. yeah. So this part doesn't just exist in Ketchikan, does it? This part doesn't just exist in Alaska, does it? Or the United States. Like, we don't have a monopoly on the church in the United States. Let's just be very clear, okay? And Jesus did not start in the United States, okay? He started way on the other side of the world. The church is a global thing. God's love is a global thing. And Craig is going to come share to us about his experiences in Ecuador and how God was working there. And I got to hear a little bit in first service. And it was encouraging, Craig. So please come and encourage us in this service. Oh, I need to give you this. Buenos dias. How many of you were in the morning service? Yes. Okay. Okay. A lot of you weren't. I want to make sure I don't share. I have too many stories, <laughs> folks. That's why I want to make sure that I don't repeat too much. But at the same time, if there's a lot that weren't here, it looks like I'm going to share a little bit more of this straight down the line. Um, Ecuador. How many know where Ecuador is? <laughs> Ooh, everybody knows where Ecuador is. Is it in Africa? 
Okay, good. I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay. One of the most beautiful things is going down there, and this is a great opportunity for me, is I got to experience something that's very, very unique. Uh, I experienced a group of people that uh, I really got to love dearly. And one of the things is, is that it was a very intimate group of people. Uh, the, when I first got there, I, I, I had a little me message. And in that little message was a, a little thing set on top of uh, our uh, pillow. And uh, I thought this was kind of unusual for a mission thing. And this was the theme of the week that they said. It's in Philippians, uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. And it says, uh, May the Lord direct your hearts in Christ's love and Christ's perseverance. <laughs> And I thought, for mission? I don't, I understand Christ's love, but perseverance? What am I getting into? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Isn't that a first thought? When I think of perseverance, I think I'm gonna have to go through some really tough stuff. And uh, one of the things that really bothered me most of all is what is I'm getting into? What is this? What was this group that I got together with? Now, understand that most of the group that I got were from Alaska, okay? We went down there and joined people that were down there, and it was exciting. And the group itself was called Extreme Nazarene. How many of you have heard of Extreme Nazarene? Okay. Now, Extreme Nazarene's uh, birth came out of people that came out of the Nazarene Church. All the leadership are people that started in, they're in their 20s. They came out of the colleges, and not all of them from, were from Nazarenes, but the majority of them were. And when they got together, they wanted to do the one thing that was on their heart, and that was to be able to plant vibrant churches that would create disciples that would plant other churches. And in 2005, they got together and they formed this organization called Extreme Nazarenes. And understand, it wasn't from the it wasn't a Nazarene organization. It's not under our mission program at all. But they are totally independent and remain independent from the Nazarene Church. Yet the Nazarene Church in South America was, have been so blessed by this group, they want all their missionaries trained by the extreme Nazarenes. And the reason for it is what God has been doing. In 2005, when they started these group of people that were in their 20s, started this, they started out planting churches. Their idea was to bring North Americans, a couple North Americans together as what they call 40-40 uh, missionaries. There's different ways you can do it. You can go down there and do a 12-day uh, thing. You can do a 40 days where you go down there and have an intensive discipleship uh, with uh, that. Or you can go down there and do a two-year thing where they'll actually train you the language. You devote yourself for a planning of this church. At the end of those two years, you can go back. But they also take the people that are down there and they try to get a localized minister from that nation and that country and that area to be able to carry on the work. After the end of two years is their hope is that they would have created a church that they could turn around and they just hand over to the Nazarene church and say, okay, district, it's yours now. You take care of it. And what God has done with them is they planted since 2005 80 churches. All the way from Ukraine clear down to uh, Argentina. So what you have is a group of people where God has the, the dynamic of them have brought together young people. Uh, now, I want you to understand there's older people too, but pr predominantly what they want is young people that can devote those two years, you know, uh, that don't have a, a lot of kids to take care of and all these other things where they, they can devote their time and their energy to that, that have a passion for God. And it's exciting because I says, well, I'd love to go with this as an opportunity. I says, okay, I, I signed up for it. And, you know, I, being the kind of a strange guy that I am, I kind of did something different. I went down there a couple days beforehand. 
which I'm supposed to generally not do, but I did because I just wanted to experience what it was. And so I went down and I went into Quito. Quito's the capital. And uh, it was really interesting to say, Quito is a place where, uh, is the center of it, but what I discovered is throughout the entire country is it is dominated by the Catholic Church. Actually, most South America is. And matter of fact, what I hear about the thing is there's more Christians in South America than there is in North America, they said, the population, everything else. What I discovered is, is the, there is a religion, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're Christian. You know, the old thing that Pastor was talking about, having being a part of a church is one thing, but really the church is the people, right? And one of the things that's so important that I've discovered is the beginnings of starting churches has to understand that a lot of people can go to these things, but they're really not always have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the whole focal point here is let's see what we can do to bring people together, to come to know Jesus Christ, experience him, and be able to live in a vital way and change the world as we know it. Actually, they have a saying that says, change hearts, you change the world. And that's the focal point of, their, of, of what you, they are all about. Well, one of the things that happened is when I found it in Quito, is I walked in downtown area, and almost every five, six blocks, there's a Catholic church. Not just a normal Catholic church or a normal building, but I'm talking about cathedrals, where you see these massive, huge, beautiful structures. Matter of fact, I climbed up on top of one and started lightning and storming. And be honest with you, it took so much to get back up there. You had to wait between the rain and the, the wind in order to stop for a minute so you can get down to the next level. It was really kind of exciting and a little bit scary at times, okay? Now, the, do I have the ability to use this? Yeah, I'll throw on the first Throw on the first one, okay. This is a place where we ended up, and for those of you who have not, uh, weren't here in the first service, as I don't want you to say, is anybody knows what this is that wasn't in the first service? It's a what? Okay, he said it's a cockfighting ring. Really? Yes. Okay. Now we're going to get back to this, and this is the focal point of where we were going to be the day before Easter. It was there for about a week with a whole focal point of what was going to happen here the night before Easter. And we will get to that in a minute. But the first thing, let's see which one's forward, okay, is the people. It's a unique group of people. It's people just like you and me, but there's a lot of what they call the indigenous people. The indigenous people, they're a little bit shorter as a general rule. Uh, you will notice along the way, pathways there, I, you, they're very gracious people, and they're very kind, and they're very sensitive, considerate. So you always ask if you can take a picture, because there are people saying, no, I don't want a picture taken of me. So I always ask, and I ask along here, and along here you'll see all the vegetables. Now these people, this is in the city, but they come from the rural areas where they grow these things down into the cities to be able to see. They sit along the pathways, and they uh, are selling them. This is some of the traditional garbs of, of some of the individuals. This is a very common thing. You'll see somebody that is sitting down there with the different grains that they've grown out there sitting at the sidewalk selling them. Okay? Now, the vegetables. Folks, you cannot eat healthier than you can in Ecuador. If you want good food at pennies, you live in Ecuador. Matter of fact, it's one of the highest places where expats, which are 
Americans that retire and want to live is Ecuador. Number one, it's one of the healthiest places you could possibly be. But the food is phenomenal and it's pennies. Uh, here's again more of the indigenous. Now, they have, like you do, an independence day. Their independence was from the Spanish <coughs> rule, right? And if you go throughout the countries in northern, not only Colombia, but uh, Ecuador and a few of the others, I don't know all of them, you're going to find this man and this group of uh, statues, pictures, in almost every single city. This is the man, and to be honest with you, I've forgotten his name. It gets a little bit long, you know, I'm not doing too good at that. And all of a sudden, he is everywhere because he's the one that led the indigenous people for their freedom of independence from Spain. Uh, but they also have these huge cathedrals. This is one of the Catholic churches. This is one I just happened to stumble into in, in Quito. And what I did, there's this huge conference going on. They actually have a, a, a showing of some indigenous a drama, almost similar to our native dance in some ways, telling a story. But they have many concerts. The center of, uh, of, of it is the Catholic Church because they're so prevalent. They're everywhere. But one of the things about the Catholic Church that sent me a little bit looking uh, is some of their procedures are totally unlike American where they're much in uh, in American they're much closer to our evangelical in many attributes okay but there it got a little bit different on the top this is in Quito that's the winged virgin this is a statue that was made and uh, they have statues on almost every city this is one where it's in a prominent place where anywhere in Quito you could look up and see this and the reason for this is they say they look at these statues and in many ways as a protector. All right. Now this is a far away. This is actually from where I stayed. And you can see uh, from a distance that same one is right there in the very middle so everybody can see it. The focal point has been developed almost by the Catholic faith. Uh, but there's a problem. Now I'm going to go back to that first. The problem is, as many times the things that happen have changed, and I think I've shared before, is you would walk into the, uh, the Catholic church there, and there'd be an individual out front many times selling candles, and you'd take a candle, you'd pay a few dollars or a few pennies, actually, for a candle. You would go in, and you'd set it down, and you'd go to one of the rooms or different areas where they would have a saint, or they would have a statue. And it wouldn't be Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't seem to be that much the center of a lot of the stuff I noticed in the Catholic churches. And you would actually take it, light the candle, and you would pray to whatever saint it was. Not to Jesus, but to the saint. And they were very devoted in doing that, and they would have a tendency to focus on their favorite one. And on the way out, there would be a little box, and they'd take a few pennies, and you'd drop it in on the way out. And it was, a, it was a difficult thing for me because all of a sudden I started seeing this over and over again until I even ran into one church where Jesus was not even, was a, was a, a, a painting on the side. In the very center was this huge statue of Mother Mary. The focal point was worship of Mary. And then when I went to another church, all of a sudden they had this, this huge, uh, uh, huge, huge painting in the very middle of it. And basically it was a picture of Mother Mary, and on the side was Jesus, the other one I'm assuming was the, uh, the, fa the father, and they're putting a crown on top of Mary's head. Now the difficulty is, is 
that the message of Jesus sometimes is lost by the focus of worship on these statues. And when I got there, the one of the things that we prayed to, we went to the top of this mountain where uh, the angel, uh, the, the archangel Gabriel was the uh, protector of Ibarro, is that they said, let's pray for the idols that these people worship. And in America, we think of an idol like anything we put above God, right? We do. We, as many times it is. As we look at the things, as if it's above God, we're making it an idol. So if we take custom. There, they virtually have idols. They have statues that they focus on. And the concern was the fact is the message of Jesus Christ is lost because they get involved in religion and go through these rituals all the time. And the message is even lost that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we talk many times around the world of how many, how many Christians they are, I, I, I start, I have now somewhat questions whether to the level that sometimes we think because we have religion that steps in the way of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, one of the things that the, this group did is the, the DNA of Extreme Nazarene is we got to do something about that. What is it that we do? We depend on God, right? And so the first thing that they have done, what a part of their DNA, is they gather together and pray. Matter of fact, before they do anything else, they pray. Prayer every week is a part of their very DNA of starting a church. They get together, and this is a, we're standing outside a little building there, and one of those little buildings that has no windows on it is a prayer room. And what we do is at 4 o'clock in the morning, once a week, they all get together. 4 o'clock in the morning, folks. Now, 4 o'clock in the morning is the same 4 o'clock in the morning there as it is here, by the way. Okay, I just want to make sure. Sometimes we think, oh, no, that might be different there. They go to work the same time you. Matter of fact, uh, the jobs, they don't get paid very much, so it makes it very, very difficult. So they've elected to take 4 o'clock in the morning, get up in the morning, and sometimes they say they show up in pajamas. Be honest with you, I think all the Americans were there. I didn't see anybody in pajamas when I was there. Okay, but they would sit together and they'd pray. They prayed for the needs, the concerns, for healing, for God's hand. And prayer becomes the very center focus of what they very, very do. And then also, they get together what they have houses of prayer, similar to our small groups. They'd get together. And the focal point of the small groups is to be able to come pe bring people together. The focus has never been to get people to come to church. The focal point is to get them to come to the home prayer groups. So the prayer groups are set throughout the city at different uh, individuals' homes. And what they do is they invite their friends, they invite their neighbors, they invite their families, instead of to church, to the home group. And they pray for each other. And they give the testimony of what God's doing in their lives. Powerful testimonies of healing. Testimonies of how they came to know the Lord. And someone would share this message. And this is a uh, member right now of our group that's sharing a message they've asked him to do. And so as we do that, they do this throughout the town. We've gone to the poor areas. We did this in a park where they had a Bible study in almost a, a recreational type of an area. Uh, we, and so we went around to all these different areas. So they begin with prayer. And the idea is, as these prayer groups function, we had one guy who said he came from Colombia. He was actually a, a, a refugee from Colombia. Colombia, they were escaping the drug wars, a lot of the violence that was going on in Colombia. I know today we talk about, hear about the peace that's going on there. They're, they're telling us that isn't true. That's nothing but publicity. The wars are still going on. 
And this, these people have come into Ecuador and escaped that, and they're experiencing uh, frustrations and struggles because even in Ecuador itself, they have the similar things as they don't want the immigrants there because they're taking all their jobs. So the concern is the fact that they were really discriminated in many, uh, many ways. Uh, this one man had, had a father that came with him, and he was sick. He was actually dying. He was struggling with that, and they were praying, and he got together with his uh, home group, and he actually invited the people, and they began to pray for God's healing on him. And God started to heal his dad, not through the medical issues, but because of the prayer that was going on. And God brought him back to total health. This man accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They sh he still can't stay there in Ecuador. He is an immigrant. They've got to find somewhere else. And they're actually have gotten to be able to immigrate to Iceland. And he made one commitment. He says, you know what I'm going to do? As soon as I show up in Iceland, we're going to start a, a home prayer group in my home. God is using this in a very powerful way through the prayer groups. Now, the hopeful point is that prayer groups grow and people come to know the Lord. The church is also grows as well because they end up start attending church later on. So the focal point is not get them to church to hear the message. Get them to our homes to hear our testimonies and what God's doing and share the word there. And from there, as people come to know the Lord, they will gravitate go to the church later. Now, here's a place where we're praying. When we went there, we prayed everywhere. Folks, this is on top of one of the mountains overlooking Navarro. This is next to San Miguel, a huge statue uh, that they have uh, uh, that overlooks that, that city. And in turn, we're praying here. We went down and then we walked through the city. This is praying in front of the high school. We had stopped and had prayer in front of the high school. Then we stopped and had prayer in parks where there's huge poverty and homelessness. Then we walked somewhere else. We had prayer there. Then we had walked somewhere else. We had prayer there. Folks, uh, I got a lot of exercise. Okay. And we did a lot of walking. It was really good for me, actually. Okay, And finally, we started to not only do that, but we had to invite them to this event. Now, the event of all places was back held in that cockfighting ring. Now, because we want to go to a place where maybe somebody that doesn't necessarily go to church would want to go, we want to reach whoever we could. So we're in, stopping out in the, uh, the different areas, and we're asking people, would you, would you come? And we'd, we'd walk up to them and say, invite to Pachico. Now, Pachico was one of the comedians. He was, a, he was a local comedian that the people knew about. And they were all excited. Yeah, I'll go to Pachico. And then we'd, we'd hand them a flyer. And the worst trouble is, is when they tried to dialogue in Spanish, it was like, uh, no Espanol. <laughs> you know, I only learned a few words. They invite you. you know. But, they, but what happened is we went from almost everywhere. We went from different parks. We went to... Uh, uh, different areas. We, we walk up to the city when all of a sudden the traffic would stop at the stoplights. We would grab little flyers and these flyers we'd hand out that invite, invite him to a comedy event and say invite to Pachico and we'd hand it to them and say oh gracias. They were really happy they had that and we'd do that as we walked in each time they, they, they would walk through the, the different cars coming through and as soon as they'd stop we'd do that. We stood in the middle of areas and uh, there's me with a uh, guess what? my bozo nose on and my typical hat that I wore all the time because it's, it, you know, it is sunny there and you're 7,000 feet high. You want to make sure you stay, you don't get burned up. But uh, we're standing there with one of the signs and we're waving to the people and handing out flyers right in the middle of it. We went everywhere that we could possibly go to get this, the message out, to invite people to be there. 
Uh, one time, actually, a police officer had to tell me I couldn't do that there, and I says, okay, thank you, <laughs> moved on, okay. But when we finally went back there, this is the event. This took place on Easter. Now, understand, a couple days before that Good Friday, we also decided to have another event, and we didn't do as much pro uh, publicity for this, but that was on Good Friday. They actually showed the compassion of Christ in a large areas. They'd have these huge recreational areas, and they'd have basketball, they'd have everybody come out in town. It was all lighted. It was a wonderful thing to have the, in, a, in an area where people could come. And we actually showed the, the passion of Christ on that day. People responded. We had uh, seven people come to know the Lord. We had 13 different individuals that uh, write down and they wanted to know who we were and where we, where, where we could go to church. So we had, it was a huge event. But this one was unique because this was a, all about a comedy. I met people, I met, and you know what this was? This is a cockfighting. But not only was this just a cockfighting rink, I want to share a little bit about this cockfighting rink. Uh, it was kind of funny when we walked in because when we walked in, it was filthy. I meant, I'm talking about along the bottom parts is we had that much of broken glass all the way around it. And you know what it was? It wasn't beer, it wasn't wine. It was all whiskey bottles, hard alcohol. I'd actually didn't even see a soft alcohol thing. It was all hard alcohol. And, it, and then the seats were gum, had gum and gunk on them. It was absolutely filthy. You'd go to the back rooms where the chickens were, you'd have the dried blood all the way up, and then, you'd have, and then you'd walk in there and there'd be filth everywhere in the chicken coops that they'd keep the chickens in on the side. And so we had gone in there, we spent a whole day cleaning. It says, if we're going to have try to get families and people to be at this thing, we need to get this thing clean. And so we devoted it, not just us as a crew, but the people of Avaro that were part of the church too. So we would walk around and we'd clean this. And as we cleaned it, we would be, we'd be scraping off gum off the floors. There was so filthy that after we got through cleaning, we had to go by hand and take it and get the gum off of it itself. Here he is with a hand to do it. And when we were going around doing that, I actually had the water, dumped water on the thing. I had these two big uh, uh, steel wool pads stuck under my feet, and I scrubbed those seats as we went around. And as we scrubbed the whole area, this whole uh, area, now understand, uh, this is a circle. I didn't show you all the circle there. But this whole thing, all the way around, we scrubbed. But we not only just scrubbed it, folks. We prayed for every seat, everything that anyone is sitting, that God would speak to the hearts of the people. That God would do something miraculous here that we would not be seen anywhere else. So as we did that, and we scrubbed, and we scrubbed, I want to tell you about this one man here uh, on the top of there. That man is actually from, uh, from uh, Venezuela. Now, he uh, has, he's, about, he's been there about 10 years, uh, working for Extreme Nazarene. You see, this young man, when he was young, grew up in, the, about in total poverty in Venezuela. His food consisted of a sardine, out of the sardine can. That's the only protein he ever had growing up. Matter of fact, <laughs> you guarantee he will never eat another sardine as long as he lives. But that was it. He lived in total poverty. 
He lived, uh, his mom raised him, and I believe he had, a, I think, a brother or sister, I can't remember. And this man didn't have next to nothing. And the greatest gift that was ever given to him when he, one day was his mom gave him on his birthday a basket, uh, not, excuse me, a baseball net. That changed his life. You see, this man is pretty tall. This is about the same height, day, maybe half an inch taller than me. That's not your typical Ecuadorian. He's from Venezuela. Ecuadorian's about half our size, okay? But not only he's a tower, he's an extremely good athlete. So that basketball, I mean, that baseball mitt became something that he loved and he loved playing. And he had to actually, because of the poverty the family was in, he had to have actually petitioned to be able to play with the team's kid. But they accepted him, looking like he could probably do something, and he did. He excelled at it. Not only excelled at it, he became the best player in the team. Later on, the best player in the league. Eventually, the best player in the nation in Venezuela. He was so good that at one time, finally, the Atlanta Braves offered him a contract. Now, I want you to understand what that would mean to anybody coming from where he did. That was a dream that very few people don't have. Sorry, if you're a kid, you even, how many we want to play for NBA? How many want to, he was offered an Atlanta Braves contract. And that was the day that he had actually had uh, hit a homer that won the national game. That was shortly after that. But at the same time, he had made a, a he, didn't know the Lord. He was having struggles physically. And he went to a, a, a minister and he prayed. He was praying with this man. This minister was a Nazarene minister that was in Venezuela. And found out, uh, this. he says, I went to his church uh, later on. He says, I think there were three people that showed up. It wasn't what you call a big church. But this, this minister prayed with him and he actually made a commitment to God. He says, God, if you would help me, you know, I'll do whatever you want. Well, I want you to understand that was a commitment he had made and he had forgotten about. Because everything started going wonderful. He did great. The next thing he was offered a contract, then he's had a little pain in his shoulder. And then he realized God brought back to him reminded him of that promise. That promise he made that he would do anything. That same day that he was given the Atlanta Braves contract, he was offered an opportunity to become trainer as a pastor. Now, what do you think the average person would do? Atlanta Braves or pastor in poverty? <laughs> well, guess what? He had to call up and say, I can't do that. I'm going to be a pastor. That's a commitment he made over 10 years ago. Instead of playing for the Atlanta Braves, which to this day he still loves basketball, just as competitive, you know, sorry, baseball. <laughs> okay. And now he's scrubbing gum off of, a, off of a floor in the seat. You know what? God has blessed that man. He would not trade and put his decision for anything, for he's changing lives. He's pastored this church, Pastor uh, Johan, 
and his wife, uh, Pat, they call it Pastoria uh, uh, Astrid. And what happened is, is God's actually called them always there to start training, go, to go to leave that church and go to uh, 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 Cali, uh, Cali, Columbia, to begin training missionaries through for Extreme Nazarene. God has blessed his life in such a way that I guarantee he'd rather be scrubbing there than, believe it or not, be playing baseball for the Atlanta Braves. Although, you want to hear what his mom had to say when he turned that down? <laughs> I mean, his whole family would have been lifted out of poverty, but he had to do what he felt that God wanted him to do. God changed him and is changing that whole community in a unique way. The result of what us spending those 10 days there working from prayer to prayer to prayer. And I understand that it wasn't, I don't believe it was just our prayer. Our prayers are nothing without the church being praying about this a long time. For God using this in such a powerful way that the prayers were built up. And finally, oh, here's some of the more. That's uh, Anna, who's going to be starting a church in Quito on the top. And this is actually one of the gals that uh, we have up from Alaska down below. Scrubbing. And by the way, that's our mission president in the bathroom there. Bottles, that's the bathroom. They're scrubbing the, toilet, the bathrooms. I want you to understand. And by the way, when you go into a bathroom there, the, you have to bring your own toilet paper. So we charged the, a nickel uh, a pad. Okay, so <laughs> they had to pay for it somehow. But we scrubbed in just about everything that there was. Finally, this is the altar call. 29 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that day. They had 78 other contacts that day. And these are the people that came forward at the altar. God is doing things in a miraculous way. And he did it because of the body of Christ universally. Through the power of prayer and dependence on God, God is changing the world. One heart at a time. Would you bow with me as... Uh, we have a word of prayer. Go ahead and stand. And it's up. Thank you for Don't you appreciate these music people? Yes. You know, I, I hate to say this. Some of you, I, I, this is my second service. I'm just now getting a little enough of this stuff. You guys, you guys are just awesome. I want to thank you for, for your praise and leading us in that. Father, today, Lord, we give you praise for what you're doing around the world. The power of your gospel to change a heart one at a time is working in every factor around this world. But Father, today, Lord Jesus, would you touch us in a way, Lord, that would touch our hearts, that we could understand that mission and share and encourage and pray for your hand. We ask that now. just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org.